0: Hebrews chapter 1 is in your New Testament. If you would just go ahead and make your way there and go ahead and stand with me uh, as we read the scripture together this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 4 together. You don't have a copy of God's Word, but I think the words will be on the screen for you this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, and you will find these uh, similar words. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to the angels to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Father, in the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would open up spiritual eyes, spiritual understanding, spiritual ears, Lord, that we might be able to comprehend the truth of your word. Lord, use this time for your glory. May Jesus, the one who roared like a lion, the one who bled as a lamb, who is our Redeemer, who uh, paid for our sins, may He be exalted in our time together this morning. And it's in His name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. Today, um, I'm starting a new series in the book of Hebrews. Let me encourage you, if you have been lax in your Bible study, if you haven't been reading your Bible every day, uh, this would be a good time for you to get back involved in that. You can begin reading the book of Hebrews. Um, I don't know, it won't be exactly chapter, a chapter each week, um, but it would be a good book for you to uh, begin to study. Now let me say this about the book of Hebrews. It's a difficult book. To read and understand. In fact, William Barclay. Some of you, uh, I've used him before. I've spoken his name before. Some of you may have read some things by William Barclay. William Barclay said the Book of Hebrews is the most difficult book in the New Testament to understand. Uh, uh, William Lane is another scholar. Uh, he agreed that the Book of Hebrews is a very difficult book to understand. But here's what William Lane said. He said that if you will press in to the Book of Hebrews, if you'll take the time to really dig in and study the book of Hebrews, it will also be one of the most rewarding books that you could ever study. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know it was received as an authoritative letter. Now, that's what it is. It's a letter. It was written by someone to a specific group of people during a specific time. But now, those in in the first century who received this letter, they considered it an authoritative letter. That means that they considered this to be a letter from the Lord. It was something that they considered equal with what we would consider the Old Testament. And so it was viewed as God's Word. It was a letter written to a group of people in a multicultural setting. There were those around them that worshipped the Greek gods. You think of like Zeus and Olympus and gods like that. There were Jews there that didn't believe in Jesus, but they still went to the temple. You remember the Old Testament temple? They went to the temple and made sacrifices. There was a, a group of uh, Jewish believers there that were beginning to get ousted from the community at large. They were facing threats. They were facing persecutions. And sometimes they might would hear statements like this. You know, if you would just quit being so fanatical about Jesus and, and maybe just go back to the way in which you used to live, maybe just go back to the temple and continue to make sacrifices, maybe your life wouldn't be nearly as hard. Maybe if you would just worship Jesus in the quietness of your home and don't speak about Him in public, things will not be as difficult for you in your life. Their family members, their friends, were beginning to be persecuted for their faith. They were starting to grow weak in their faith, and they were being tempted to go back to an old lifestyle. You start to think about it. Their culture is a lot like ours. We are not being tempted to go back to an old religious system, but we are being told just about on every front that if we will compromise some of our values, things will go easier for us and more smoothly in our community. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of Christians and, and pastors and, and other those in the Christian community, be uh, be labeled and, and called names simply for believing in a biblical definition of marriage. And the culture would say, if you'll just accept a, a, a more pluralistic or a more secular way of thinking, everything would be easier for you. Here's another similarity. Some of you are at a place where you have prayed to receive Christ, but the temptations of the world are so great that you're just about to throw your hands up and say, I quit. I can't do this. It would be easier for me if I were to just go back and live my former lifestyle. That's where some of them were. How about this? Some of you gave your life to Jesus because your life was in turmoil, but instead of your life getting easier, it has gotten harder. Your marriage went from bad to worse. Your kids never came around and believed in Jesus. Your finances did not improve. Your news from the doctor never got any better. The job you wanted never came through. And Satan is right there saying, See, I told you. God's not going to help you. And he's tempted you to to give in and say, Don't even worry about trying to uh, work on your relationship with Christ. You just need to go and live for yourself the writer of Hebrews, there is one main message in the book of Hebrews, and it's this. Jesus is greater. He is greater than than anything else that he could bring in your life. Jesus is greater. Listen to this statement. Having Jesus in hard times is better than having peace and no Jesus. And in the next several weeks, we're just going to have the privilege of unpacking the greatness of our Savior. Now, here's what I want to ask you this morning. It's the question that you you really need to ask yourself about your salvation. Is Jesus really enough for you? Is Jesus really enough, or do you need to have Jesus and all of your needs met? Is Jesus enough, or do you need to have Jesus and ABC for your life to really be complete? Is Jesus really enough? And so let's talk about the greatness of who Jesus is. The first four verses, along with passion, uh, passages like Philippians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1, are some of the most Christocentric, some of the most Christological verses that you'll ever read in the New Testament. Verse 1 begins this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In the Old Testament, God spoke in a variety of ways. Uh, sometimes... It, uh, he was he was in the burning bush speaking to Moses. Sometimes he was a, a, just a still, small voice speaking. Sometimes he was with Daniel in the lion's den. Sometimes he spoke by dreams and visions. Sometimes he spoke directly to Moses, like when he gave the Ten Commandments. He even spoke through angels. But in the Old Testament, God spoke in many ways and in many different times. But in these last days, what he says is he has not spoken through angels. He has not spoken through the prophets. He has spoken to us by his Son. Now the phrase the last days there it speaks really to the time in which we live. J.D. Greer says that you could you could really uh, break history down into the, the, the three different segments. You have the the creation and the fall, and then you have a period where uh, Israel in the Old Testament, then everything from from Jesus forward is the period in which we're speaking. It's the, it's the time of, of Jesus. Jesus is the final revelation of God. That's why we don't need another prophet like Muhammad or Joseph Smith to give us new revelation. Jesus is the final revelation. It's through his son. He has spoken to us through his son. You see, the apostles, uh, the apostles think about this. The apostles wrote after the death of Jesus, but they were not writing new things in the sense of bringing new revelation, as much as they were clarifying who Jesus was and what he did. That's a big difference, okay? And so, beginning in, uh, let me get my verse straight, I think it's verse 2. He spoke to us uh, by his son. He gives us a list to speak about the greatness of who Jesus is. And so, we'll work through this very quickly. Six things here the author gives you. First of all, he is great because he is the heir. Of all things. Think about what an heir he is. He is someone who is entitled to everything in the estate. And so the father would look at the son Hey, everything that has been created, everything that you see, all of these people, they are for you. This kingdom I have made for you. He didn't make it for the prophets, he didn't make it for the angels, he didn't make it for Moses, he didn't make it for David. He made this for his son. Any of you ever worked somewhere and you worked maybe like, like at a private business? And there was a child of the owner there that maybe was your same age, and you worked with him. That child may have done the same duties and jobs that you did, but that child had a different relationship with the person who owned the business. Uh, That child, he was the heir. He was the one who everything that you had been doing, it was going to fall into his lap at some point. And And God says, the Father says, everything I have, I've made. For my son. He's the heir of all things. He is the one who created the world. The thing about the world which we live, it's absolutely amazing. Jesus the Bible says, Genesis, I mean John chapter one, that Jesus created it all. There was nothing that was made that he did not make. Scientists tell us this. There are so many billions of of minute details that have to happen simultaneously at the same time for life to exist on planet Earth that it's mind-boggling to the imagination. It's, it's, It's even dumbfounding that that would happen. Consider the greatness of the sun. The sun is so large, you could fit 1.2 million earths inside the sun. and still have room to fit 4 billion moons in the sun. And the sun is not even nearly as big as other stars that are out there. Uh, the star Betelgeuse is out there. It's 880 quadrillion miles from us. That's 880 with 15 zeroes. It has the diameter of 250 miles, and so it's 250 miles long. That's greater than the Earth's, Earth's orbit, and that's the 10th largest star out there. And so John 1 asserts nothing was made that was not made by him. Now, interestingly, now, now catch this. There are two words in the Greek language that speak uh, of, of, like, creating Earth, creating things. One of the uh, of the Earth, of the world. What is the word cosmos? Cosmos. You think of our cosmos. Our cosmos. You think of that. You can you can relate to that. It's, it's the physical uh, matter in which makes up this earth. But the word that is used here is not the word uh, cosmos. It's another word in the Greek language that refers to the ages. Some of this, you need to hear this. Jesus didn't just create the earth. He created the ages. He created what happened yesterday. He created what's happened today. And some of you need to hear this. He created what's going to happen tomorrow because what you're going through today is not the end of the story. There is another age that is still to come. He created the world. He created the ages. He knows what the future holds. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Think about the sun. Any of you ever looked at the sun and you almost got blinded? I think every one of us has done that at some point, right? He's the radiance of the glory of God. When you look at the sun, you you see radiance, and Jesus is much greater than that. He asserted in John that he is is the light of the world. The book of Revelation says that in the age to come, there will be no more need for a son because the radiance of Jesus will be there and he will be the light of that age. He is the light of God that could transform our dark hearts, take us from being dead in our trespasses and make us into children of God. Number four, he is the exact imprint of his nature. How many of y'all have ever done this? This is another one of those things I think every one of us have done at some point in time. Many of you have ever taken a quarter chip and maybe put the piece of paper over the top of it and you take your pencil and rub over the top of it and you remove that quarter and what you got? It's the exact imprint of that quarter, right? Anybody else ever done that? Am I the only foolish little child who's ever done that? Okay. What are you saying? If you were to say, what does God look like? What does God act like? Everything that God is, the character of God is revealed to us in Jesus. When you say, well, well, he's the exact imprint of his nature, that's what he's saying. Everything that God is is displayed, the characteristics is displayed in Jesus Christ. Everything that God is, Jesus was. This is a good one. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Our entire universe is upheld by the word of his power. Our solar system, the planets that revolve around the sun, is one of, scientists say, one of 100 billion in the milky way galaxy okay so we have a solar system and it's aside to say there it's it's one of billions in the milky Way galaxy and astronomers say that there are 50 billion galaxies in the universe jesus created all of that and he upholds it all by the word of his power now i'm getting ready to say some things that are well i've already said some things that are over my pay grade i have to research it from other places. In fact, I called Rusty Gall about this this week. Everything that we have, everything that we are, our resident scholar in Rusty Gall. everything that we have, the matter that we have, it's made up of atoms. Okay? Now, all the matter that is out there, it's, it's made up of, of atoms. You think uh, protons, neutrons, electrons, think about atoms. In some way, all those atoms are held together. You know what would happen? And I verified this with Rusty. You know what would happen if all those atoms just suddenly came apart? Complete destruction. I mean, the world would just cease to exist. You want to know how Jesus, when, when Revelation, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, how Jesus can just speak and everybody can be destroyed? He upholds every he holds everything together by the word of his power. And if at any time he says atoms come apart, everybody dies. Nu- nuclear wars—that's that, what it is. And you split the uranium, and, and those atoms come apart, and it, it creates so much energy that there's just a big explosion. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who keeps everything going. Think about, think about this. If we were 1% closer, closer to the sun, the earth would be no more. If we were further away, it would be no more. You know what? Hey, I built Joshua a man cave behind the house that he never goes in, by the way. And I was excited that it, that it actually still stands. You know, for me, I mean, this was a big deal. Some of you have built, like, back decks and you've, you've made things with your own power. How do you compare to what Jesus has created? You pale in comparison to what he has created, and he upholds it all by the word of his power. Number six, he made purification for our sins, and he sat down. You see, the prophets were those who told you what you needed to know in order to be right with God. Jesus did something completely different. He told you what you needed to do, but he also did something that made it all possible. The prophets could only write about what Jesus would do. He did what we couldn't do for ourselves, and he got died on the cross, he was resurrected three days later, and then he sat down. When you sit down, there is nothing else to do. You see, the priests, they stand every day in the temple making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. There was not there was not even a chair in the temple because their work was so was so great and there was so much of it to do that they never had the chance to sit down. Jesus made one sacrifice, he ascends back to the Father, and he sits down saying, it's done, it's over, there's nothing else to be done. It ended the sacrificial system. There is never any other need for another animal to die as a sacrifice for our sins because the perfect one has been sacrificed for us. And those Jewish brethren, they were thinking there, maybe I I need to quit living for Jesus. Maybe he, he's really not worth it. Maybe maybe we'll, maybe we'll the pain that I'm going through and, and maybe everybody talking about me, maybe I should just quit living for Jesus and, and start living like everybody else and, and everybody talking about me, it will be over with. And, and God's main word to us this morning is, no, don't go back. Having Jesus is so much greater. Going through the issues that you're facing, it is so much greater if you'll just hang on. To Jesus, And that's the entire message of chapter 1. The first four verses of chapter 2 are the conclusion to the introduction of the book of Hebrews. And very quickly, let me give you two truths from the first four verses of chapter 2. Based on how great Jesus is, there are two things that you need to hang, hang your hat on. Number one, we see it in chapter 2, verse 3. Don't neglect God's final word in Christ. Jesus said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If there were were punishments in the Old Testament for our sins, how much greater will your punishment be if you neglect God's final word in Christ? How much greater will your punishment be if you neglect what he has done for you on the cross? Martin Luther, we, we, um, we point to Martin Luther as the, kind of the initiator of the Protestant Reformation back in the, the late 1500s. Martin Luther used to become very angry at what he called the, the damnable doctrine of doubts. It was the idea that you could only get people to really obey Jesus by threatening them with, with hell and punishment and judgment. And Martin Luther, he had this idea that, hey, if you'll ever come to understand just how great Jesus is, if you'll ever come to grips with how much He loves you, and how great His grace is for you. And if you'll ever grasp the love that He poured out for you on the cross, that will be what changes your life. You see, you may get scared into uh, this immoral lifestyle because you're scared of going to hell. But if you want your life to change, you grasp how great Jesus is. You grasp the love that He has poured out for you on the cross, and if you'll ever really come to grips with just how great this love is, what you'll do is you'll fall down and surrender. And you'll say, Lord, here's my life. Take me and use me for your glory. But if you come to realize just how great Jesus is, and you understand that he died for you and you say no thanks, what hope is there for you? Do not neglect his final word in Christ. And number two, You see it in chapter 2, verse 1. Do not drift away from the Word of God. You know what pains me so great as a pastor? is to really see people that really believe in God. They they, they know all the answers. I believe that Jesus was God, Charlie. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. I I believe that He was resurrected. I, I believe in Him. But I don't have time for I don't know of anything that hurts my heart more than that. I don't have time for you in my life right now. And here's what happens. It always happens. You begin to drift. You see, you can never stay in the same place in your relationship with Christ. If you are not constantly moving towards Christ, you will automatically be drifting away from Him. In fact, the, the picture and the imagery that we that we get from this this word that we have here in, in verse one of drifting away, is the imagery of a boat on the water. You would never park a boat in the middle of a river and not set the anchor down and expect that boat to stay in the same place. And you see, that's what he's saying. Jesus is so much greater, but but if you don't pay attention to him, if you don't pay close attention to the things that you've heard. You are going to drift away. Do not drift from the Word of God. Listen, I can't promise you that your life as a follower of Christ will be easy. I can't say that if you'll follow Christ as you say this prayer that your life will just be a bed of roses. When we study Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to study great men like David and Solomon. Man, they had great kingdoms. They had money. They had power. And they were great men of faith, and people like Gideon who did great things for Jesus. But then, that in that same very chapter, you're going to read about those who were sown in half, those who were thrown into the lions' den, those who were killed with with a sword, and those who were poor and needy. You see, both in the relation in the in, in the heavenly realm. And that's why I pose the question to you this morning. Is Jesus really enough for you? You have to decide if there is anything in your life more important than following Jesus. Because you see, for the rest of your life, you are going to be tempted and tested to see if Jesus really is Lord of your life. Satan is going to come and he's going to tempt you to turn away from following God. And then there will be times in your life where God's going to add blessings you. are just going to feel like you're on top of the world. But then there are going to be times that that same God will allow some of those things to be taken away from you and not because He's trying to punish you because He wants to make sure that He is still Lord of your life. He wants to make sure that, that He is the treasure of your heart and not the things that He has given to you. You have to make sure that Jesus really is enough. So the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is so much greater than anything else that you can ever have. So don't drift away. Instead of drifting, chapter 6, he says you have an anchor for your soul in Jesus Christ. You have an anchor, you have a hope in Him, so don't drift. Set your anchor firmly in Christ. So this morning, Can you say today that Jesus is your enemy? Are you willing to say that that Jesus, I'll go wherever you leave? Can you say that Jesus, I'm willing to forsake everything in my life for 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 the hope of knowing you as my Savior? If not, why not today? He upholds the entire universe by the word of His power. He died to pay the ransom for your sins. There's never been another like Him. There never will be. Today, would you make Jesus everything in your life? Would you pray with me? thank you, thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior. He is greater than anything that this world has done. Lord, may we not neglect so great a salvation. Lord, may we not drift Father, I trust that you're speaking to people in this room this morning. Lord, I plead that lives will be transformed because of your life. Father, thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The invitation is very simple this morning. Two things. First of all, have you neglected so great a salvation that Christ has offered you? If that's you, you say, man, I've just never trusted in Christ. I've neglected. I believe in him. I know what he's done for me, but I've just neglected him. Today, we should come. Say, Pastor, today I'm I'm tired of running. I'm, I'm tired of putting it off. Today I want to give my life to Jesus. And secondly, for those of you who have asked Jesus to be your Savior, are you drifting? Are you drifting away? Are you not, are you really pursuing him, or are you just kind of going through the motions? I you, would you just get on your face before the Lord and, and just cry out in repentance, Father, forgive me for drifting. Set my feet back on the solid cross. Those two things, as we stand, we sing him number page, page 450, we stand. You sing and you come as the Lord leads.